You're listening to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show, a podcast that discusses the intricacies of real estate investing with your host, Marcus E. Maloney. Marcus is a real estate investor best known for being the equity king. He's been awarded that moniker because he and his team find amazing real estate deals. He will be talking with investors who have done some transformational things in the real estate industry. They'll discuss their process, their strategies, and how their investments transform their lives and the communities they invest in. We welcome you to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show. It was what lens did I see things in? And a lot of us see things in the lens of DIY, do it ourselves, or it's some big mountain to cross over to get funding for a deal, right? Or to find a deal to begin with. I didn't see it that way. Like it was like, I was, I didn't buy in Seattle Tacoma at that time. Like, but in my head, I'm like, oh, well you just go get deals. Like, and you go and you go get people to give you money to pay for them. Like, right, you just right. go do it. Like that's my entire subconscious. That was my conscious mind. That was like how I saw it. So I didn't see those hurdles of DIY situation like most investors do. And the, so I just think that for yourself, if you're listening to this, like how, what's your optics? Like, how are you viewing things? And can you change your perspective uh, of how you see it? Can it be easier if you just see it in a different light of the deal versus the yeah. actual like mountain it might be? The We Love Equity Show is brought to you by Azria, widely recognized as an outstanding resource for real estate investors with exceptional education, networking, and support, along with profit enhancing benefits and all aspects of real estate investing. Visit Azria at www.azria.org. That's visit Azria at www.azria.org. Hello, 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 hello. We love equity listeners. How are you today? I hope that you're having a fabulous day because I definitely am. And I'm pretty sure that my guest on today is having a fabulous day. So today I want to really dig into fixing and flipping and the burn method. And I have my guest, Tarl Yarber, big, bigger pockets guy, has been around for years. I listened to him as I was coming up, followed him quite a bit. And he's based out of Seattle, Tacoma, Washington area, but he lives in Maui. So he's doing things virtually, virtual flips, doing bird method. And he has some other things that he's doing. But we want to talk about, you know, the flips, the bird method, and some of the systems that he has in place so he can do these things virtually. So, Tarl, Tarl, man, welcome to the show. How are you? Marcus, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Ah, you got the cheers and everything. All right, all right, all right, man. So <laughs> tell me, uh, you've been in the real estate business for quite some time. Just give us a brief background about your beginning. What did you do before real estate? I mean, how did you get into real estate? Okay, so I was a young man with hopes and dreams and whatnot and broke. But basically, <laughs> no, in, in a very short nutshell, on I was 20 years old. I went to the Real Estate Wealth Expo in Los Angeles in 2005 when I was 20 and Robert Kiyosaki was speaking there. And that's the only reason why I was going. Cause like I read his book when I was 17, rich dad, poor dad, and I never wanted to work for anybody, but I was going to, and that was what I didn't know what else to do. <laughs> so gotcha. so I, go, I go down there and I see everybody speak big sellathon. Tony Robbins was there. They even had like Russell Simmons there, which is kind of cool. I had to see him speak. And they had all the big guys They had Donald Trump speaking there. And then all of a sudden you had somebody talk about personal development stuff, a guy named Marshall Silver. And so I bought a personal development seminar from him, which was more money than God to me, which was 1500 bucks at the time. 
and yeah, and that's so quite thrilled. a bit of money at at uh, twenty years old, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that same seminar today was for, you know who knows he sells for ten grand. I don't know, but yeah. So I buy that. I'm tripping out. I'm stressing, and then I see another seminar that's like nine hundred dollars. That's how to turn ten dollars into ten thousand dollars in thirty days or less, and it was about wholesaling real estate. And I see her bring all these checks up on overhead projector, like all that stuff. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I can, I can buy her program. And in 30 days, I'll make 10 grand to pay off the, the credit card. The yeah, the credit card for the personal development seminar. And so the only reason why I got into wholesaling or real estate was because the payoff for a uh, seminar that I bought for personal development and through Marshall Silver. And then, okay. uh, then it didn't work out like I thought it would at all. But So what happened, man? Yeah. What happened? You, you know, because a lot of people do that. They go to the courses, they go to the seminars, they spend the money and they think something instantaneously is going to happen. Something magical is going to happen. So what happened to where it didn't go the way that you thought it was? So I, well, it went, definitely didn't go how I thought it was going to go. <laughs> I was bro broke, 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 broke. Like uh, as soon as I got back from LA for that, I was living in Sacramento at the time and California. And uh, as soon as I got back, I still had a little job. I, had a, I worked at Sears. I was still going to college full time. I was also doing Air Force ROTC in college and had a lot of my plate girlfriends, that kind of stuff. But I was like, I need to make money. And so I was so naive though on everything that I literally did what most people don't do, which is I opened up the books and CDs and did exactly what it said to do. Like I just didn't think about it. I studied the crap out of it and then just went and did what they said. But the big thing that was a little bit harder is that as soon as you open up the books and listen to the cds they talk about paying for marketing and direct yeah. mail and like uh buying not you know foreclosure list at the time foreclosure.com was a big thing they didn't have it half the you know not even half like five percent of what they have right now like as far as access to right uh, right distressed homes that are on the internet so i had to go to the courthouse i had to pull up the county recorder's information i had to pull up the uh, micro fishes i had to do all that stuff to figure out who might be in distress mm -hmm. Because if I didn't have money for marketing, then she's like, you got to go door knock. And so I'm like, all right, I go door knock then. And I, I got on my dad's shoes, right? Because I didn't have nice shoes. <laughs> and so, and then, yeah, and I would just go door knocking and terrified, like literally crying in the car. I was like scared of a little boy. Uh, yeah, because that's, I mean, that's one of the hardest strategies to use is marketing is if you want to get out of that comfort zone real quick, do some door knocking. And, and I had a big motivation. I pulled out all the cash advances on my credit cards so I can pay for gas and eat and with no intention of paying them back until after I did a deal. So I knew I was going <laughs> to mess up my credit and I don't recommend that to anybody, but for, and then I did it, but it took a few months to get my first deal, which was a $5,000 assignment fee, which definitely didn't go back to the credit cards that went to going back to like eating and gas because by yes. then I dropped out of college and the, like, that's a longer story. We don't need to get into that, but definitely dropped out of college by then. Okay. And then for I went full time and all this, and then my third deal, which took six months from when wait, we wait, the wait, program. wait, let's because I don't want to gloss over that first deal because you had the door knock and stuff like that. So, for the listeners that haven't done a deal or working on their first deal, mm -hmm. how did you complete that deal? Because it's only so much in a book that can tell you. Yeah. So essentially, like I, I read and listened to these CDs and listen. I read these books so much that if you talked to me, you'd think I'd done a hundred deals already. Like so, that's. The, uh, on one side, right, my confidence was very big and I was very good at faking it till you make it okay. back when I was 20 years old. So looking back, I kind of get mad at myself for how much I just faked it. And because I'm more of a, <laughs> I've learned to become a much more authentic human Authentic. But it's much, it's a lot less stressful just to be yourself, in my opinion. But Right, right, uh, yeah. The, but I had to learn that the hard way. 
so the but yeah essentially the deal door knocking and but i didn't know what i had like i didn't how what the hell how do you comp a house they didn't talk about that in the video I talked about how to like once you get a house you can start negotiating down for rehab i'm like cool your house needs it's broken right like but i didn't know what the hell rehab was and how to analyze any of that crap so it got to a point to where I finally was networking over at local Rio groups, like uh, real estate investment associations. Mm -hmm. And I met this guy, uh, David, who like, for whatever reason, liked me and he seemed to be like a big fish. And so when I set up an appointment and I'd go on it, I messed it up, totally burnt a few appointments. I finally was like, can I bring you to an appointment with me? And he's like, absolutely. So I brought him to an appointment with me and he did, you know, pretty much all the talking and did most of the work. And then it led to, I don't know, have, I couldn't tell you how much he made on the deal because I was just so excited to get five grand. Right. <laughs> uh, and, and honestly, I don't care like how much he made and what he did, but he closed it up and I got a $5,000 check and I was stoked because then I can keep eating and moving on with my life. But the, the big thing I learned from that was, which is what we do today all the time and what I've always done since then is that why not partner with people? It's just easier, especially if they can bring something to the table that I can't. And at that time, I had no skill whatsoever other than I can knock on a door and cry in my car when they say no to me. Right. And the, which, which I did. So for the full disclosure and, and then that's how that kind of happened. But in a nutshell, I took them on two appointments and then for, and each one I got 5,000 bucks for. So, so the, how, how real quick, Tarl, because that's important. A lot of people try and do everything on their own and try and yeah. figure it out on their own. You bombed some appointments. You could have made $5,000 on those appointments. What gave more you, if I knew what I was doing. But yeah. yeah. So what gave you the impetus to say, you know what, let me get this guy. Uh, he seems like a big fish. Let me see if I can use him to help me because I'm pretty sure that gave you confidence now going in because you got really backing you on everything. Yeah. What gave me the confidence to bring him was that he told me to. So for, I was talking to him at a meetup or one of the meetings uh, for the RIA group. And I just asked him lots of questions. And then I met with him for coffee more than once. And then he just took me under his wing a little bit. And it got to a point where he's just like, well, next time you set something up, just bring me with you. And I'm like, I bring me with you. Yeah. And I'm like, cool, I can do that. And that's, yeah. that's what I did. And then I just wanted something to work. And trust me, I was very greedy back then. I wanted everything, but I also knew I wasn't going to get it. And then I learned that, you know, getting, I don't even know what the percentage was. So I was going to say 50% of something is better than a hundred percent of nothing. But for all I know, I was getting 10% of something But for yeah. uh, back then, but it didn't matter. And the, cause I learned, I got confidence because by my third deal that came from, that was the big one. And there's an episode, bigger pockets, 189 that I really go into it. And that was a hundred thousand wholesale fee. Wait, wait, wait. You said a hundred thousand. Yeah. And so that was the third one. So and how did you, oh, hold on, Tarl, because you can't gloss over <laughs> making a hundred grand as a wholesale fee. How did yeah. that happen? Technically it was a double uh, escrow and uh, double closing. Okay. Yeah, instead of a wholesale fee, which um, are a little bit different today than they were back then in the wild, wild west of 2005. But for, let's, this is where I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole because like there's a lot more interesting stuff we do today that we can help people with. But, okay. but on the okay. side, on the side, I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll wrap it up on this part. Episode 189 on Bigger Pockets definitely goes over it. But essentially, I was by now at this point in my career, almost four or five months into it or something, I was a part time financial planner. Right? This is why I, I joke. I laugh at financial planners. I just want you guys to, to hear this. Is I'm a 20 year old going out, turning on 21 soon, broke as blank, right? Right. Who got licensed to teach 40 plus year olds how to uh, run their finances, right? So, and I was doing it and I was making and you income. you have nothing. 
<laughs> zero. Like I was getting, I was recruiting agents into our brokerage and I'd have them drive me on appointments because I have gas money. So the it's, yeah. Woo the reason why I brought that up was because one of the brokers in the office, I was telling about how I was such a big shot with wholesaling deals. And he took me to lunch to ask me a lot more questions about what assignment contracts were. And, and of course I was like, oh yeah, you know, I gotta do this all the time. Right. Yeah. You're the and master now. Master. <laughs> <laughs> And, and then I find out like a day later after I told him all that, he comes up to me and says, hey, we have a 40 acre property between my uh, girlfriend and I, her, she was divorced for three years and she owned a free and clear 40 acre property in an area called Smith River, California with her ex that they've never been able to sell. They can never really agree what to do with it, like all this stuff. And they just wanted it gone. And, and he had the idea. It's just like, well, why don't we tie that up? I could think I can get them down for a good price because they just want out. Mm -hmm. And so they could be separated forever. And then maybe we can wholesale it to somebody else for more. I'm like, oh, I do that all the time. Let's do that. Right. 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 And I don't know shit about land, but we, uh, we tied it up for 225,000, 40 acres, went out there, took tons of photos, didn't know how to sell land, brought it to the Rio group, did a bunch of, uh, put it online, different land based websites at the time. And we spent a few months working on it to try to get it to somebody. And we finally found somebody at, a, I think it was Kansas or whatever, that wanted like a horse type property. And they flew out there and met my buddy who was the one that was the, found the deal over in Smith River. And they walked it, they loved it. They bought it for 325000 And so we did a double escrow, so we, which means just two different uh, transactions where we're the middle person between the two. And the so essentially we close on the 225 and then within like five minutes, sell it for 325 instead of assigning it. So there's no assignment contract. So you don't see our assignment fee on the closing statements. And it's just a double escrow at that point. So you'd have to pay closing costs on both transactions. That's the only downside. So it's technically like $97,000 you know, fee or whatever that you get, 700,000. And then I split it 60, 40, right at that point. So 60 for me, 40 for him. And, and that's, that was my last real estate deal. Okay. So Going back, so you found that that $100,000 wholesale deal, which was some land in California. I'm pretty sure that that changed your life. What did you do after that? And then we're going to kind of bump it up and we're going to go into currently what you guys are doing with the flips and with the Birdman. Yeah. So, I mean, like we split it 60-40 and I can ask you, like, what do you think? How long do you think it takes a 21-year-old at this time to spend that much money? And it, you spend it really fast. So when you've been so broke, you, spent it, so you, I, you didn't put it back yep. in marketing or anything like that. Oh God, no, no absolutely not. Like the, <laughs> uh, so I bought a BMW. I paid off all my credit cards. Never, and I was never in debt again until I was like thirty, and never had a credit card again until I was thirty. Okay. Uh, which, by the way, isn't always the best thing because then you just don't have a credit like credit, for right. that long. And then for. What else did I do? Went on trips, lived. You just blew it pretty much. Yeah, some of it was smart, some of it was dumb. But for you know, for the most part, at the end of the day, I hated I hated every minute of what I was doing in real estate. Every second. There's not a single thing I liked about it, not even remotely liked about it, other than the check. And so as soon as I that was the last transaction I did until 2011, 2012. So 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 uh, you, you did all of this, you was making money, but you didn't like wholesaling you didn't like door knocking didn't like, didn't any, like of any of it okay <laughs> nothing i went full-time in financial services after that and built a pretty good company with that i uh, got legitimately serious with that and experienced the market crash while a financial planner had lots of clients had lots of agents built a good brokerage in sacramento with that for years and then 
got burnt out and then moved up to Seattle. And we don't need to go through that entire story, but I got moved up to Seattle and got back into real estate when I got up into Seattle in 2011. And so you, know, you basically, so you basically started over in Seattle yes. in 2011. That start over. What did you do? Did you, you know, go to Ria's again and kind of start that way, or did you have some money? How did you, how did you reinvent yourself and start over? So this is where, like, this is one of those stories just because it's, I don't usually say on podcasts and because it's not relatable to a lot of people. Like I never had my first flip. I never had my, oh yeah. And then I finally got like, the best first thing I had was that wholesale uh, deal, right? That was like those wholesale, those were the best first time experiences that other people can relate to for the most part, because how I got back into it in 2011 was absolutely not normal. So the... Essentially, I wanted to get back into real estate. I read Rich Dad Poor Dad again. I want to refine my roots and figure out what I want to do with my life. And through rereading re- 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 uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad, um, I'm like, you know what? Let's go try this real estate thing again. And I was kind of good at it. Why not? And I'm smart with money now. And I'm much older and mature at that time. And so I started like looking for different businesses that were in real estate. And then I found a company that was looking for somebody to be, you know, more of their national salesperson for, they worked with Fannie Mae during this time period. So a lot of REO in 2011, real estate owned properties, foreclosures. And they were what called a service area manager for Fannie Mae, where they were basically a contractor where they would partner with Fannie Mae and they would do all the repairs on Fannie Mae homes before they would list them. And so, uh, I kind of stumbled into that. And then through a series of events, I become a independent contractor with them and start running their entire national sales. And through building literally national relationships with asset managers through various different groups, even Wells Fargo and Aquin and Bank of America and Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Major uh, lenders. Major and major foreclosures yeah <laughs> you know major asset managers for major reo portfolios and and i wasn't a threat to them because i wasn't some realtor investor at the time i was just some guy that was part owner of a construction company and through that built massive relationships and through a series of events stumbled on an opportunity to start getting off-market deals direct from the bank through working with these asset managers a lot of stuff happened a lot of flying around all over the u.s a lot of business partnerships so i never did my first flip right we did our first like 100 so it was me and two other guys partnered up in it and then we just started we didn't know what we were doing we had to go raise money we started getting lenders to give us money we started getting buddies to give us money. We started doing joint ventures left and right. And just, we had so many deals coming in. A lot of times we were wholesaling them for nothing, just like five grand, 10 grand, just okay. to get volume. Cause we had so much volume coming in for us and we, we made it up. We didn't know what we were doing. And if I looked back during that time period between 2011 and 2014, which is when this was going on, how much we didn't know what we were doing and how much if I had that same opportunity today, it would be a completely, yeah, completely yeah. different story. <laughs> like I'd be a billionaire. Let's just put that like but completely you know different story. You, yeah. you still use that, you know, as a strength because you still yeah. made money from it. You got yourself back into real estate. A lot of money. But yeah. It, it's, it's, but the, what it really did for me is when I finally started Fixated, my company Fixated Real Estate in 2014, the business partnership collapsed February 2014. It was money does funny things to some people, right? And I think it makes good people better and bad people worse. And some of my business partners, it definitely accentuated some personality traits that, that didn't seem to be there when we first started doing the business together until they started making a lot of money. Then those negative traits really started coming out. And so I left it 
and I started fixated in October, technically went full-time back in the fixated my company in October, 2014. And, but when I did that, I made that transition. All I knew was volume and all I knew was systems. And all I knew was I'm not working on the project. We, and why would we buy one deal when we could buy 10? Right. right. And so I never, that's why I don't, when somebody says their first flip, I don't have that first flip experience because started at scale. I started at scale. Like, and so when I see somebody that's like, how do I do two flips? I'm like, well, I don't know. You wake up like, that's yeah. like the, <laughs> you just put you it together. It. Like, so, <laughs> and I can explain it now, but back then I didn't understand it, why that was such a challenge. And the, cause when it came to money, I already knew do joint ventures, go raise capital from other people, go, go get a hard money lender for 80% down and go find somebody to pay the other 20%. Why don't just do that? What's the big deal? Right? Like it was just such a normal world for me. And when it comes to like, and because I hated most of the day-to-day -day stuff of what we did in real estate, I always did everything I could in our partnership and also in Fixated to get other people to do all the tasks that I didn't like to do. So I got really creative with systems, processes, how we document with photos. We're doing nationwide properties. So if you watch any of my videos on Bigger Pockets, I talk all the time about taking photos. And so it's, and the reason that even came about is that if I'm in Seattle and we have a property in Florida, how can I go walk the property to go check it out, right? I'm not going to be able to. Right. You waste all your profit flying there and back and stay in hotels. Like, so the, we had to have a hundred plus photos every week of these properties, independent people taking them, right. Independent of the contractors, having the realtors check on them. Realtors work for free and the, and all these situations to be able to get these quality control done on these project projects. And so all I did when I started buying in Seattle, Tacoma area on my own is I just followed exactly what we did nationwide, but did it in my backyard. And okay. the, and I actually found that I worked harder in my backyard than I did when we did nationwide properties. Cause it, it was easy for me to drive the property, right. When it's you know, yeah, just down people, the street, people have a habit of saying, okay, well, I feel like I'm sitting at home or sitting in the office, not doing much. Let me go and check on this property where if it's a property in Florida, you can't do that. So you yeah. basically leveraged other people's times. You use them as an asset. That way you can not have to worry about doing the logistics and making sure Correct contractor is putting the drywall where it needs to be and things like that. So I want to add one more thing on that uh -huh. just for anybody listening is that it's, you don't hear what I just said and go, oh yeah, well he had it differently than me. Like it's a different situation, right? It's how did I view it, right? It was what lens did I see things in? And a lot of us see things in the lens of DIY, do it ourselves, or it's some big mountain to cross over to get funding for a deal, right? Or to find a deal to begin with. I didn't see it that way. Like it was like, I was, I didn't buy in Seattle Tacoma at that time. Like, but in my head, I'm like, oh, well you just go get deals. Like, and you go and you go get people to give you money to pay for them. Like, right, you just right. go do it. like that's my entire subconscious. That was my conscious mind. That was like how I saw it. So I didn't see those hurdles of DIY situation like most investors do. And the, so I just think that for yourself, if you're listening to this, like how, what's your optics? Like, how are you viewing things? And can you change your perspective uh, of how you see it? Can it be easier if you just see it in a different light of the deal versus the yeah. actual like mountain it might be? Cause it might actually be a molehill, molehill actually. And I'm glad you brought that up, Tarl, because that's one of the things that I was going through actually, you know, because it's all about perspective. And that was one of the things that I was looking at. I'm so detail oriented to where I make something that's so small, so minute and blow it up and make it seem like it's this very big challenge. And I was just thinking just on yesterday, I need to change my perspective on how I see things and say, if this is what I need, let me just go out there and get it. 
you have the resources, you have the connections. If you don't have that, you know where to get it. There, you know, there's the internet of things, you know, Google. You go out yeah. there, you research it, and you find it, and you make something that seems so huge, so small, and then you just work it, man. So that's that's perfect that you that you keyed in on that point because a lot of people starting out, again, everything is so massive. You know, how can I raise fifty thousand dollars? How can I? And that's that's small money. How can I raise five hundred thousand dollars? And there's people that's that's doing it. Carl, you're doing it. I'm doing it. It's easy to do, but you have to get out of your own way and get out there and do it. And I, and I think you add, it's a semantic too. Like you use the word how, like it's, if you change it to what, like, what, what do I need to do to get this deal? Or what do I need to do to find somebody with 50 grand to put the down payment on for this joint venture with them in some way? When it, how creates this mountain? How creates this, like this treadmill situation and versus the what, like what needs to happen to make that? What are the steps? That I need to follow and it's a different question to ask yourself and that took me a lot of years to to change that verbiage in my own life so I can think differently through it and solve those problems easier perfect 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 well let's take a brief break and when we come back let's let's bring everybody up to speed on what you're doing now because we know that you're in multiple markets fixing and doing a burn method so when we come back we'll talk to Tarl about what he's currently doing now with fixated and then how you can get in contact with him and uh, make the most of this, this opportunity. So Tara, let's take a brief break and we'll be right back. PropString is the industry's number one tool for locating distressed properties and connecting with highly motivated sellers with 100% coverage across the US. PropString provides a deep dive into any property specific details, making it easy to generate lists of distressed properties and contact to the owners. No other product or service can compare. Gain access to MLS property details like expired listings. You can pull accurate comps, even sale prices in non-disclosure states. This information is typically reserved for licensed real estate professionals, but is also available to you in PropStream. Gain access to unlimited nationwide property search, comparable home sales, targeted marketing lists, and owner contact lookup, built-in marketing tools, hundreds of filters to search and sort leads. Start your free seven-day trial now by going to crowd.propstreampro.com slash we love it. All right, guys, we are back with Carl, and he's based out of Maui, lives in Maui, but he's doing things in the Seattle, Tacoma, Washington area. So he's doing some fix and flips. His company name is Fixated. And right now, Tarl, I know that you're doing tons of flips, man. Kind of walk us through some of the systems and the processes that you guys use to make sure that you not only do one, but you can do flips at scale. So that one can turn into 15 flips going at one time. How are your processes? That's a very long discussion. Yeah. But, for, but the, the simple version of it, it's like, so we do both. We've specialized in single family fix and flip. Like that's what we did for many years. I would encourage anybody to pick a niche and stick with it for a period of time. And there was, if you would have, at one point in my career, I had like four or five different businesses going on that were all real estate related, but very different things. And, and I found that even though they were all making money, they weren't making a, a fraction of what I started to make when I only did one of those things. And, and I took that and I really changed things in 2015 when I said, I do single family fix and flip 15% cash on cash margins that I'm not going to do any additions. I'm not going to do any pop tops, which is where you rip off the roof mm -hmm. and add a second story. And I'm not going to do any new builds or anything like that. 
We only do single family fix and flip for at least a 15% cash on cash margin in Seattle area, the Tacoma area, so King and Pierce County uh, and Portland at that time. And so if it didn't fit that buy box, we didn't even look at it, right? Period. Wow. And so we got very narrowed down on it. Now that's a big buy box, by the way, but, the, but it just was uh, for our area. That means like anything that fit that we're buying it. Um, and we did that for years. And so with, with that, like we had to have ways, how do you analyze the deal quickly? How do you uh, make sure that you, can you analyze the deal and close on it in less than three days? Like at one point we would need like 10 days. Right. And then it got down to seven. And then eventually we got to the point where like, yeah, we can close tomorrow, whatever. But at one point we couldn't do that. Right. So we no. had to go, no, we need to thoroughly walk the deal and we need to like have an inspection period. And we need, so those things changed over the years, but at one point, yeah, I wanted two weeks. I wanted a month to close if I could. Right. And I wanted as much time as possible and we needed to spend a lot of time analyzing deals, making sure it's the right thing. So for anybody out there, just because of where we are today in our systems, it wasn't where we were at one point. Right. So you learn, you grow, you, you adjust because shit happens in this business. Like you cannot, like it's construction. If you're doing anything in, in real estate, that's value add. Value add means you're doing like rehab, like you're yeah, doing construction yeah. in some way, right? To add, to increase the value of a property. So you're dealing with contractors. You're dealing with rehab. I don't care how perfect you are. Something's going to go wrong. Like it's just so going many, to. So many variables. So many, right? And because of that, like, you have to have a little bit of flexibility with those things and not get gummed up with it. Like I used to, I used to get pissed off every time something bad would happen in a rehab because I hate, hated rehab. I hated dealing with it. Uh-huh. And, but you had to get good at it. So the reason why I'm going through this though, is that the cornerstone of, of our entire business is dealing with shit for one, but not just dealing with it, but seeing it right. And documenting it after it's done. So you got to see it, you got to solve it, you got to deal with it. Right. And then you got to document it. And that's the thing that I think people skip that last step is the documentation. Documentation. And that's, that's, if you had to like line us up with another group and maybe why we've scaled and systemized versus another group hasn't is because we've documented our processes. And so, and the main reason, and anytime something really goes wrong, I'm not saying we're perfect on this. Trust me. There's a lot, there's times that we've done the same mistake four or five times. And then we go like, why haven't we documented that yet? And then then we go deal with it. Right. But, but the fact that we're thinking about it, right. And we're trying to create a process to where like, how do we skip that again? So it doesn't happen. Right. Oh, okay. Well, maybe we should have a contract with the contractor so they don't run off with our deposit. Right. And, Oh, and not only just a contract, let's not give them 50% down anymore. Let's, let's give them a 10% down or 20% down. Right. Like all those things that we just learned through making mistakes. And most of our systems and processes came from those mistakes, but we were okay learning from them. Right. And I was okay with us documenting them, learning from them, dealing with them. So we didn't have to keep repeating it over and over again. So to today, after, thousands of mistakes we've learned that we use three major softwares right that we love to death we use dropbox i'd get rid of everything we have everything we have except dropbox if i had only choose okay. one thing right okay. i would keep dropbox over everything else google drive same thing whatever but even then yeah. i nowadays prefer drop drop dropbox but use dropbox for all of our file storage everything so if something that for those of you guys out there where you're wholesaling flipping burying multifamily, i don't care what you're doing if you don't have your properties organized in a way that you or your teams can access them quickly and easily without having to talk to each other to find the right documentation for what you need or the right photos for what you need then i think it's silliness like it's it's the 20 
it's 2021, right? Like everything nope. should be on the cloud. If my phone crapped out today, that's fine. I just go get literally any other phone, phone right? Tap right back in and be good to go, right? And I could just nope. upload my, I just download the apps I need and log in and I'm good to go, right? I don't need to do, it doesn't, it should be no hardware dependency. There you go. That's what the uh, word I'm looking for. But well, a, a lot of people, not to cut you off, Tarl, but yep. a lot of people, they, they focus on analysis, right? They, they mm -hmm. analyze the numbers, they analyze in a deal, they analyze in a property. And with those standard operating procedures that you're talking about, those processes, that's still analysis. Hey, yep. let's analyze this process on this property that we just flipped. Where yes. do we make the mistakes? Where do we do good? Where do we do good at? And let's make sure that we analyze it and we do more of the good versus the bad and document those processes. Yeah, correct. Correct. I could kind of go on a rant. So thanks for pulling me back. But the for we do something called an after action report after every deal. Now, by every deal, I mean like almost every deal because sometimes we forget to do it, but because we're not perfect. But right. the pro point of it is to get to even if you're by yourself, right? Can you look in the mirror? not just for yourself and say like, Hey, I blanked up big time. Really. I did something really stupid here. I waited. Oh, the contractor messed up. Oh, right. Well, you hired the contractor. So why did you hire that one? Right? So like the, oh, I was lazy. I only wanted to get one bid. Oh, okay, cool. So oh, I went for the cheapest guy I could find. Right. Oh, okay. That might be an issue too. Right. So that's not always a good exactly. thing, but I didn't verify their licensing or there was a lot of bad referrals. So what did you do to mess up the deal and take full ownership of it? But what did you also do to make it go right? And it's not a blame game when we go through an after action report. It's a, it's not an area of grievances either. Like it's a, about objectively looking at, Hey, the timeline was this, what we meant to do 80,000 rehab. We spent 90. Okay. Where did we go over budget? Let's look at that. Right. Oh, we had you know, a massive issue here that none of, nobody knew about when we bought it that we had to solve. Okay. Like sewers messed mm -hmm. up or whatever. And okay. We can figure that out. Oh, timelines. Why was it? Why were we two months over? Well, cause the lockdown happened and permitting took two more months. Right. Oh, okay. That's nobody's fault then. There's nothing we could have done. Oh, it's because nobody submitted the plan set because we got lazy about it and forgot. Oh, that's okay. Why? <laughs> like, why did that happen? Yeah. So we're just going through those processes and seeing is, is the thing I'm looking for more than anything, Marcus, is it something that we know better on, right? Those are the ones that we want to hone in on because maybe there's a training situation. Maybe there's a laziness situation. Maybe it's my fault. Maybe I'm the bottleneck because I got lazy, right? Yep. Uh, and is it a mistake we made more than once? And if it's a mistake we made more than once, then we really got to deal with it. If it's a new mistake, then that's okay, right? I'm mm -hmm. actually okay with new mistakes because it's new. And so right. we want to figure out, figure out why it happened. We want to learn from it. And we want to see, is this a one-off? Or is this something we have to put into our process to prevent in the future? Most of the time it's a one-off, but we need to be aware of it and see it so we can look out for it again. Because what, what we do is we always look at the process. If there's, a, if there's a major mistake somewhere, okay, is it a people problem or is it a process problem? Mm -hmm. if, it's, if the process is ideal and we run this process numerous times and we have no flaws and then when we insert this outlier or this person that never ran through the process before, then it's a people pr problem but it's not a process. Or if it's the process is just flawed, we don't submit the contract to the right person or something like that, then it's a, it's a process problem. But you got to be able to identify when you're doing processes, which one is it? And like you said, Tarl, you may be the bottleneck. I may be the bottleneck. So how can I get myself out of this process so I can insert somebody better that'll make the process run a lot better? Everything in my business is my fault. Everything. Yep. 
Yep. And and that's sometimes hard for us to accept. Oh, it's my staff. They messed up. Well, you hired the staff, right? I know. And you hired, did you train them correctly? Train them, yep. Right? There's a gentleman on my uh, team that's been with me since 2015. Love him to death. Actually, I consider him one of my best friends now, but he technically works for me, right? But there was a period of time in 2017, I was going to fire him. And he knows this. I told him. So uh-huh. for, was it 20? No, no, 2016, 2016. Uh, so less than a year later. But then I, I, I subscribed to a lot of Jocko Willing stuff. He wrote a book called Extreme Ownership. I would definitely encourage people to, to read that book. But I, I got to meet Jocko and I talked to him about like staffing and stuff. And he straight up says like, well, if your staff's not doing what they're supposed to be doing, have you trained them appropriately to do what they're supposed mm-hmm. to do? And it was at that minute I realized, wait, I can't fire this guy because I've not given him all the tools yeah. and resources he needed to be successful in his position. And, and I went back to the dude and I told him what I learned and I'm like, Hey, I found out it's not, it's not your fault. It's why you, you suck. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> me. Why you suck. Right. And I don't say it that way, but that's pretty much what I was saying. Right. And we started over and I realized I need to give this guy the tools and resources he needed to be successful in his position. And he's been with us, you know, since then. Right. So it's 2011 or so 2021 right now, right now. So it's the, so those are the kind of things that like maybe perspective for you and your business, not you particularly, but people listening mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, you're probably are the bottleneck. You probably are the issue, right? Which grow yourself, work on yourself, work on your process. And if you really suck at something, get somebody else that's better at it to do it, right? And even if it, it, how much is it costing you? I used to do all the billing, right? All the billing for my business. Not, number one, I hated the heck out of it. Like, just (laughs) like everything else I do in the business. But I would be the major bottleneck for finances, for getting people paid and checks cash and all this stuff. And I finally had a, my CPA basically tell me that I'm the issue, right? And I should stop doing it. And I'm like, well, who's going to do it? It's like, you have a bookkeeper. And then he just helped me put together a little process to let that go. And now guess what? It's the best thing we run in our entire business. Actually, it's our, our billing, billing side is the most oiled machine that we have. Like it's the greatest thing because I got out of the way. And it just, it, I don't even think about it. Like it's just all perfect all the time because I'm not in it. And so, especially yeah. with that entrepreneurial mindset, Tarl, we always believe that we have to be the one in order to build a great business. You got to be in the trenches. You got to swing the hammer. You got to do the billing. You got to market. You got to find deals. You got to talk to sellers. And a lot of times you just have to outsource a lot of those assignments because there is someone out there that one, loves to do it, two, that can do it better than you, and three, that frees you up to do something that you're, so you can work in your greatness versus you doing billing, which I know you hated to do. Yeah, and I would just say anybody out there, like there is, you can't put the cart before the horse too, right? So it's the, there's a point, like if you were 20 year old Tarl in his dad's like shoes driving around and also his tie, right? Yep. having no money that can't even eat, you don't need a bookkeeper at that point. Right? That's probably not the time to go find a bookkeeper or even be thinking about it, actually. Right. That could be that analysis paralysis that could be caused when you're too new in the business and too, oh, okay, Charles said, find a bookkeeper. Marcus said, you need to hire the right people. Like, just, just go send a mailer out. Like, go get a deal first and then maybe go deal Absolutely. with those other things. So analysis paralysis can mess you up quite a bit. But there comes a point where you realize, okay, I can't handle this anymore. I'm not the right person. And before you say, I can't afford it, you think, what do I need to do to afford it? Or Mm -hmm. what does it actually cost? Because you'd be very surprised at how affordable just 
a bookkeeper is, especially with the way the world works virtually these days, it can cost you very little to nothing to be able to do it. So a lot of stuff you can outsource out there for very affordable, but it might force you to get more clear on your processes and your SOPs and the guidelines and things that you need done, which if you're not even clear on what those things are, you're not going to make it clear for other people and they're going to be very confused. So delay that because they don't want to deal with their own chaos going on in their own lives and business to, they don't want other people to see that or they don't want to take the time to write out a process to be accountable for somebody else to do it. And, but that's, what's holding you back. So to be, yeah, because I mean, those, those writing out those processes is not the fun, sexy thing to do. And Mm -hmm. it takes a lot of time, but guess what? Once you do it once you have the foundation, yes, you may have to go back and, you know, revise some things, add a, add a step, take a step out or something like that, but you have the foundation. So then you can pass that on to your employees or your partners, whoever you're working with and say, hey, look, this is the process. Let's train you on it, get you up to speed. Now we know, hey, it's not the process. That's a problem. Maybe you're not following the process thoroughly the way it should be. Maybe one viewpoint to have for somebody if they want to figure out how do I create a process, right, is if you take a house, just a house, it doesn't matter if it's a multifamily, a single family, a land development, whatever, right? If at the end of the project, I ask you the question, can you show me how you acquired it, how you analyzed it, how you rehabbed it, how you QC'd it, all the way up to how you dispositioned or stabilized it? Can, we, can you show me your process, how you did that from start to finish so that I can follow along? If your answer is, <laughs> or like, I don't know then you don't have a process, right? Most of the times, like maybe it's in your head, right? Maybe you're guessing, maybe you have no clue how you did it. You got lucky. I don't know, but maybe, maybe you've done it 20 times already, but it's different every time. And I know there's businesses out there. You can ask me, I can legitimately show you every single thing and step about that one property we did five years ago. I can still pull that up for you and show you step-by-step documentation, every little thing we did from how we found it all the way to disposition. And just from storing docs in the right way and having a process for it and then duplicating it every single time. So you don't have to think about it. So the first one might be hard. The third one might be hard, but all of a sudden the fifth one becomes easy, right? And if you follow that, that process, right, over time, think long-term with it, the future you will very be very appreciative that you did that. Absolutely. So Tarl, Man, we really didn't even get into everything that I wanted to get into. But I think this this going through the mindset and going through these processes and things like this is is it was very important for people to hear this. So briefly and just real briefly, kind of touch on what you guys are doing now, where are you looking to go and what steps are you taking in order to get there as far as your company fixated now? So Right now, we don't do anywhere near the volume we used to do, but that a lot of that has to do with um, lifestyle more than anything. Okay, so and it's by so, choice, not by, by choice. pandemic, not by market conditions or anything like that. Uh, I, don't, don't get me wrong, though. Like, if we wanted to go back to the volume we used to do, it would definitely be different than how we used to do it because of the market, because of the pandemic, right. because material costs, right? Those are definite factors, don't get me wrong. And it would definitely be much more competitive. Like right now, we have like nine deals going on right now. If I remember correctly, I'd have to look at our chart that are actually, that are business deals. I have a bunch of personal stuff that I do and I lend and I also invest with other people that I'm not counting in that because I'm, I'm passive in those. But active inside our business, we have nine going on right now. But those at our height, we'd have between 17 and 23 going on of rehabs between anywhere between $60,000 to $300,000 in rehab. 
and so per project, so larger deals. But right now, in t- end of early 2018, end of 2017, we made the decision to create more of a lifestyle business where we did less than 10 at a time. So our thing is once we reach more than 10, we kind of like pull back. And because mm-hmm. I didn't want to hire more staff, we just kind of keep that's those are, and by 10, I mean, we're the operator, we're the one managing, we're the one conducting gotcha. the whole process, right? We have, I have other things I'm part of, I'm a, a partner in different funds, right? We do that, but that. I'm not the operator, right? I'm more of the passive, the the consultant, the director, like kind of stuff. So, and even though I might be a GP, general partner in some of those, I'm not the active general partner, if that makes sense. So, so I live definitely more of a lifestyle business today by choice. And the, but through that, yes, we have nine going on. Some of them are flips. Some of them are burrs, buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. Nowadays though, like I get kind of nervous at the idea of selling any of them. And the, and we were talking briefly about this before we, we started the, the mm-hmm. podcast was I like, we have a deal right now. This is how stupid the market is. Actually not a deal. All our deals are this way right now. The, I'm going to go drive it here in a second, but I think I did a video on this one with BP, but anyways, the, when we bought it, we thought it would be worth like 425 ARV when we we're done with it. Right. And we're four and a half, five months into the project, right. It's wrapping up here soon. This thing will sell for 550 now. Right. Wow. And it's gone up 125K in value since we bought it. Right. Like, and we only bought it like four or five months ago. And that's stupid, going up 25%. Right. Yeah. That's so dumb. Right. And that's short in less than six months. So when I, he, when I see that one side, and this is what you got to think about, one side of me goes, wow, we just made another 100 grand on a deal that was already, that we're already on budget on to begin with. Right. This is great. Or I go, wait. Why should we sell this house? We just made an extra hundred grand on this deal. Like, and can we keep it? Right. And because, you know, years ago, yes, I would have sold the heck out of that thing and cashed out on it yep. and taken that check and done whatever I was going to do with it back then. But today I go, okay, well, is it more important for me to have a high income or a high net worth? Right. Or high asset? Right. right. Is it more important to me to have maybe that thing might only cash flow two, 300 bucks a month? Right. Which if we sold it, right, we'd make about 170, 180 on this thing right now when we're done selling. See, this is an easy flip for us. Like this is a standard bread and butter flip. We had to take it down to the studs. Right. We do full rewire, full plumbing and everything. But okay. at the end of the day, it's about $140,000 remodel. But but it's a very simple one for us. So, yeah, we can go make almost 200. Who knows? Maybe we would if we sold it after, by the time the market's ready for it right. uh, in the summer. But if you don't need that money right today, and do you hold on to it? And do you trust that the market's still going to be good next year? Right. Ooh. Do you trust that, you know, do you trust on holding on to the deal? Are you going to regret a year from now going like, man, that thing's worth 650 or man, now the dollar's so devalued that the, you know, inflation's going up so much that, you know, having a hard asset's a lot better than the liquid cash sitting in the bank. So it's, those are questions you got to answer for yourself. And for me, they're really tough questions. And really, really tough because I'm terrified of making the wrong choice, choice. Uh, for me and my family and my team. And it'd be very easy for us to just list this thing and go. But I've listed way too many houses I later regretted selling in my career. So it's, it is a hard time right now to make these choices. Yeah. And, and when everybody's greedy, right, you're supposed to be stingy, right? And when everybody's stingy, you're supposed to be greedy. Everybody's greedy, greedy. big time in yeah. everything right now. So it's, it's, it's tough. It's really tough to make these choices. And I don't have an answer for anybody on that one. 
It is, and and I can I can attest to that. I mean, we had a deal where we were we said, okay, we did the ARV. We were just wholesaling this one out. We did the ARV, and we were like, okay, this property is sale for two twenty five. Well, by the time the the in buyer did the rehab, and it was only a ninety day rehab, the thing sold for we had it for two twenty five as the ARV. It was like two ninety five. They ended up selling it for, and it was like. We could have did that ourselves and made that money versus yeah. wholesaling it out because we thought the thought the margins were going to be thinner. So, like you said, with this market, is is difficult to really pinpoint which direction to go. That's why knowing you know what your core principles are, you have to rest on that right now because the money is good. So it's take the cash now or the cash later. It depends on what your end goal is. It just comes back to for anybody out there strong. If you're in this business, you're in the investment business, right? This is, which means you need financial education. So it's, it's not just off market deals and mm -hmm. direct mail and rehab, like you're investing, even though like you might be using other people's money. If you are calling yourself a real estate investor, you're, you should be strong at financial education financial for yourself, education. right? Yeah. And the, and making those right choices, realizing, Hey, my tax bracket's going to be X, right? And if I leave the money in there, then I have deferred, you know, I can defer that, right? In some way and get, in, get into capital gains. Unless, of course, the tax law changes on what capital gains is supposed to be, right? Like, so it's, <laughs> so it's you know, there's a lot of big, you know, big, huge question marks that are hard to answer, but you got to look for yourself. So for, if you're in a situation, you know, having a million dollars cash sitting in the bank sounds cool, but is not a good thing. And yeah. the, especially if it's in the same bank and it's, you know, having it sitting in equity is also not cool, cool when you need right. the cash to pay for <laughs> shit like food. So it's, so it's a tough, so what's the balance? What's the, and I don't like that word balance, but what's that right equation for yourself, for you and your financial life that you're comfortable with enough in the bank in case, you know, you need it. Right. But at the same time, you don't have it all sitting there doing nothing for you, losing value right, right. due to inflation. So it's, and if all of a sudden the dollar gets devalued or deflated or like there's any, any of these big question mark things, then you're going to lose all that if it's sitting in the bank. But that's also terrifying to think at the same time. So it's, but is that going to happen? Probably not. Right. But yeah, what's your comfort zone too is, and those are questions everybody has to ask for themselves today and answer for themselves today. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's that, it's that, it's that bottom line purpose. Why are you doing this? So what do you want your money to do for you mm -hmm. at the end of the day? Because some people may need the cash now versus later. And some people may say, hey, you know what? I'm willing to take this, this money or this equity, pull it out and put it into a different investment vehicle that, that will hedge against some of that inflation. So like you said, it's just having that financial education and knowing which way you want to go and what direction you want to go into. So just, go ahead. Just one book I would encourage people to read is a, it's a book called The Soul of Money. And the it, it definitely changed my perspective on my personal finances and money and not hoarding cash like I used to and like just being able to live a little bit more today because we don't talk about it enough because nobody likes to talk about their own mortality. But like it's, you know, you only have so much life to live, right? And so making great money is very important, in my opinion, to live the lifestyle that I want to live. But at the same time, right, it's more important for me to have experiences and live my life and have be stress-free while doing that. And money definitely helps with that. But it's not the only thing, right, when it comes to the lifestyle no. I want to live, right? Yep. So it's so figure that out for yourself, what 
your major why is and how you want to live your life. And that might mean you only need to make like 50 grand a year to live the lifestyle you want to live, right? It might mean you need to make 5 million a year to live the lifestyle you want right. to live, right? But know that what it really means to make that kind of money, not just for taxes and expenses, it's very easy to spend 5 million, believe it or not. And the, it might not get you what you really want. In this what case. you want, but exactly. The, but you might not like the lifestyle it takes to make that too, right? And because it comes, we just want the flashy car and to look dope in the house, right? But in order to keep that, maintain that lifestyle, you might not like the work it takes to do that. And you might enjoy the beach time instead of doing, making a hundred grand a year, living on a you know vaca- permanent vacation if you wanted to, which you could do, right? For very little. Right. But anyways, just something. Lifestyle. About. Lifestyle. lifestyle. So, Tarl, let's wrap up, man. We're going to put yep. you on a hot seat. Let's put Tarl on the hot seat, on the hot seat. Tarl, answer these questions for me as quick as possible for me. Uh, starting over, what would you do differently? <laughs> something different with that hundred grand, huh? <laughs> ah, you know, I, know. I did a lot of cool stuff with it, but for I, I would honestly, looking back, it, most of what I would change, I wouldn't, I can't say I would change much. That's real estate related, more mentality related in my twenties. But when, if I really had to figure out, you know, if I can go back in time to twenty twenty one, I said twenty eleven and twenty twelve. Oh my gosh, like there's just such. A difference there but i would do better with my finances like that's probably if i wanted to wrap it up is i would do i would do a lot more energy and effort to make myself personally financeable at a much younger age uh, for lending purposes and so forth i would do better at documenting my finances when i was younger and for tax purposes and so forth and tax returns i'd be it's when you're getting to the next level with real estate having strong financials, not just for yourself, but for your businesses is really important. And it makes your life either living hell or super freaking easy. Like when you, when it comes to financeability and just like being able to be a grown up in the business, basically. So I would do better with that. That took me a few years to figure out. And then when you flip houses, you're just stacking cash, but you don't, maybe you're forgetting about the whole like documenting stack. Right. <laughs> uh, and the, so there's that part, but in reality, I would keep more. Like, I think there's very few house flippers that are out there that would say that they wish they continued to sell every single thing they had. Like most of our big regrets is I wish we kept more of what we had. I didn't have a rental until 2016 after four years of doing 500 plus homes. Well, Tarl, it's, it's, that's, it's interesting that you say that because a lot of times when we get into real estate, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for, I don't want to have to work for anyone. I want to be able to sit up on the beach and live the lifestyle that I want to live. And the majority of that come through the passive income through the rental properties. But a lot of times we get in and we say, yeah, I want to flip 500 properties. I want to wholesale. I want to do this. I want to do that. And then when we look back, we say, man, we wish we would have just kept 50 of those houses that we flipped. 10. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, you know, one of the big things I would do differently is look at it. And that comes, look at it through a different lens. Different right? lens. And yep. see, I saw a flip and that's all I saw, right? I didn't see, there's so many developments that we sold that we didn't know we had. There's so many amazing burrs that we didn't re- didn't know what that was, right? Just countless, countless. Yep. And for the quick cash, because that looked cooler at the that time. That looked cool, yep. All right, what do you think is one characteristic every high producing uh, investor needs to have? humility and you know when it comes to their mistakes like it's being able to be self-analytical in my in, in my opinion I, i'm very 
big on self-awareness and just knowing what's my fault, what's not my fault and what can I control? And, but not everybody will agree with me on that. I know some very successful people that don't even know, they can even like look at their own hand. They have no self-perspective right, whatsoever. Right. Like, so and they're very <laughs> successful out there. They do. They're just like, they have no self introspection. Like it's all external. So I can't say that's really important. I think that's more important to have a stress-free life, right? In my opinion, okay. but I'm more big on that than anything. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So you gave us one book recommendation. You said the soul of money. Any other book yeah. recommendations that you would uh, refer? Yeah. I don't read real estate books, just a full disclosure on that. But for um, all my books would be definitely more personal development than anything else and leadership. But okay. Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink is definitely up there as far as good leadership books, four hour work. If I had to say my three system books, like if you had to read these three books and do what they say, then you know then you will know exactly how I run all my businesses, which is the one thing by Gary Keller, which got really, that really honed in on me, like how to focus on what's the very most important thing I need to be doing in right. my business setting on time and what I'm most effective at. Uh, the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss, which got me to think more on how do I get other people to do stuff, systems, processes, to be able to be a lot more creative with, I only have two hours to work this week, right? How do I get everything done? right? To in the gotcha. like thinking really hard on that kind of stuff. And if it was simple, what would it look like? That was a good question that I got out of that book. And the last one was, is the checklist manifest festo by Atul Gawande, which he is a, actually a uh, orthopedic surgeon. And it's an amazing book. Now it's not like some, like, this is how you make a checklist. Like it's actually a journey of how like one checklist completely saved thousands of lives in the medical industry and stuff like that. Like some simple five point checklist that got created and how that whole process happens and how you simplify the heck out of basically SOP into a very simple process. So we took those three books or you know, over the course of years of like going back to them, reading them, doing whatever. And that's my brain when it comes to our real okay. estate business is those three books. All right, interesting, interesting. So guys, I'll make sure I have all of that information in the show notes so you can go and pick up those books that Atal recommended. So Tarl, how can we, Get in touch with you. How can we follow you? How can we find you and see what you're doing, man, and, and be a part of your community? We have we do a lot of events, but lately we haven't been because there's this weird thing going around in the world. But yeah. um, the, but in reality, like my Instagram is always a good one, at Tarl Yarber. You can follow me okay. there. I'm not the best at it, but I'm getting better at it. And we do post some of our houses there every now and then. But it's the, some right now, if you just go on there, you just see me doing jujitsu with Brandon. But for the, it's, and my kids, but, but we do definitely, you know, we're ramping back up all of our social media again, bigger pockets. We do a lot of videos for bigger pockets, YouTube channel, and gotcha. we're doing about one a week right, right now. Again, uh, there's a lot of past videos that you guys can watch on our deal analysis. And we do a lot of property walkthroughs where I'm like, here's a house. Like this is, we literally bought this. Let me show you how we did it. Those are really good. Uh, in my opinion, they're the best videos ever done. But the uh, in reality, they're actually, yeah, they're all long though, forty five minutes plus because we go into depth on each one of these projects. That's good. Uh, That's good. And I don't hide anything, so it's like, this is the BS. This is the the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. So definitely check those out if you want. Okay. But Instagram is always a good one. You can direct message me. I'm not the best at it, but whatever. And, I mean, you got you're you're still doing the uh, Pacific Northwest, like big badass real estate wealth expo. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So that was the largest West Coast conference for real estate investors in 2019, specifically for investors. And 2020, we did a virtual. We had 1,800 people at the virtual one in 2020. We're not going to do one in 2021. And we plan on relaunching it in 20, early first quarter of 2022. And here in the West Coast again, it's national conference. We just call it the PNW. We're going to try to change it just to the big badass real estate wealth expo. So that way people... Not okay. don't just see it as PNW, but BPCon, Bigger Pockets has their conference coming up in October. We're going to be at that. 
yeah, I'll be we'll there. Just, yeah, we'll just go to that instead this year because we're we living in Maui right now. We're going to come back. It's and with all the restrictions that have been going on out there, we just don't want to. We don't want to have a repeat for ourselves right, what we had right. in 2020 with having right. to launch this 1500 person conference and then all of a sudden like almost lose our ass yeah, when all the restrictions down. happen in 2020. <laughs> so I don't want to do that again. I don't need that stress, right? So yeah. I'm all about like chilling on the beach right now and scuba diving. So we'll re reapproach that early next year. So be on the okay. lookout for that. And we'll announce that of course through our Instagram channels and everything. All right, well, perfect. Tarl, I really appreciate it, man. Thank you for being on the show. I know, I know that people got a lot of takeaways here, especially with the systems and processes. Again, we didn't even intend to go down that road, but I think it was really, really good uh, because I, I actually gleaned a lot from it. I'm sure everyone else gleaned a lot from it. So in parting, real quick, Tarl, what are some words of encouragement that you can give some investors out there? that are either struggling to get up and get going or that's pivoting? What words of encouragement can you share with this? I think that if you, if you hang out with me long enough, you're going you're gonna to get to a point where I'm just going to start asking you about what you really want in your life and like what you really want to do and who gives a shit about anybody else and what they want, right? Meaning figure out what you want. And yep. if don't pay attention to society, don't pay attention, turn off the freaking news. Like don't watch that shit. Uh, and just be more in, in tune with yourself and your family with, and by, I mean, your immediate family, not yep. your extended, cause they can pull you down, but for, and what life do you want to live? Right. And be okay with that. If you just want to sit around watching TV all day and that would make you the happiest person in the world. Cool. What are you stressed out about? Go yeah. do it. Like, so, <laughs> like, oh, but everybody will judge me. Fuck that. Sorry. Who gives a shit? Like, just go do you right? right and you'll be surprisingly happy and get rid of all those people in your life that are pulling you down like why even be around them there's a great quote out of rich dad poor dad that I've, i say to this day all the time if you can't change the people around you then change the people around people you around you and it's don't surround yourself with people that bring you down it doesn't matter if they've been your friend for 20 years if you're on a path and that person's dragging you down why are they in your life? Yep. So it's the, now there's, now if you're the asshole in the, in the relationship there, that's different, right? Yeah, so be you aware, gotta, that's you where that self-awareness is. Right? So, <laughs> yeah. But like, cause you can be kind of a, you know, if you're the jerk, then you're the jerk, but you know, there's a nice way to do it. But yeah. the, but the situation is it. you have, it's your life. You only have so much time. And so figure out what to do with it and be happy with it. And don't care what other people think with your choices. And, and do it anyways, because it, you'll be surprised at how many people will be inspired by that and will ask you, how are you doing that? And you, when you're the happiest person in the room, because what I've learned about happiness is that you don't need to add things on to be happy. You have to, it's actually, you have to let go of things to be happy true, and, true. The, and release them and be like, oh, I don't need all that shit. I'm happy today. Right. And so if it's, it's a deeper conversation for sure, but you're not going to be where you want to be in life, right? In my opinion, if you don't want, be honest with yourself. And so mm -hmm. with what you really want, not for other people, but for you. And so, and that's, all right. that's all I want people to do is be themselves. That's it. Okay. You guys heard it from Tarl Yarber right there. Be yourself, be honest with yourself, know exactly what you want, and then create a plan in order for you to get there close out all of the noise and you will definitely get there. So Tarl, I really appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for being here. I'll let you enjoy the rest of your day because I know you have plenty of things to do. 
like scuba diving and surfing and things like that. So All good times. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Marcus. So, thank you so much, man. And uh, guys, you know what to do. You got the instructions. Get out there, take action, and remember to always enjoy the journey. All right. All right, guys. That was Tarl Yarber. Big, bigger pockets contribute. Like I said, he's doing tons of fix and flips and burrs in the Pacific Northwest area. Again, our conversation went totally different than, than what I expected, but it was a good thing because those were some of the things that I think that you guys need to hear, especially on the ground level is making sure you have those systems in place, documenting everything, documenting how I take my pictures, documenting how I'm sending out my direct mail or doing my cold calling or doing my rehabbing, finding a contractor. So you have to remember, you got to take time to stop running and doing everything to start documenting what you're doing. That way, when it's time for you to hire, you can bring the right people in and they know exactly what they need to do. So guys, thank you so much for being a part of this community. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. And remember, Go to the YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash MRCS Maloney. You can find me on all platforms, Instagram, YouTube, uh, Facebook, Twitter at MRCS Maloney. And feel free, if you find that this content is benefiting you, give us a rating or a review. And that way we'll know exactly what content to provide for you in the future. Thank you so much. It's time for me to run. Got some things to do, guys. Remember to always, always enjoy the journey. Thank you for listening to today's show. I picked up some great actionable items and I'm sure you did as well. If so, let me know. You can always reach me via social media at facebook.com slash MRCS Maloney, Twitter at MRCS Maloney, and of course, IG at MRCS Maloney. You can also always reach me via email at M Maloney at equityri.com. Make sure you reach out to our guest as well. You can always find their contact information in the show notes below. If you have not subscribed already, what are you waiting for? Join the family. And while you're at it, leave us a five-star review. This is how we tell if we're providing you with what you need for your journey. If there's someone you would like for me to interview, or if there's a subject matter you would like for me to cover, please let me know. Finally, if you're looking for additional information about real estate investing, go to equityrealestateblog.com, also youtube.com slash Marcus Maloney. Until next time, family, always enjoy the journey.